Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to From the Furrow, where each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the green markets. I'm your host, Kristen Steen. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Tuesday, September 20th at 8.58 a.m. December 22 corn is currently up nine and a half at 6.87 and three quarters. And November 22 beans are currently down three at 4.57 and three quarters. Okay, turning to our guest this week, it's our privilege to have with us Steve Freed. Steve is the Vice President of Grain Research with ADM Investor Services. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. Very excited to have you. So let's get started with the markets. Can you give us a quick rundown? Well, I think each market has its own fundamentals. The, the number one thing is uh, money flow. 90% of our day trade in the grains is done by algorithm machines, and they tend to trade headlines. And so, you know, the cash is not necessarily converging with futures if a headline is is bearish and cash basis levels are record high. So as a farmer, you have to kind of deal with the extreme volatility in these markets. As far as November soybeans are concerned, we've been trading pretty much sideways since July between the $14 and $15 price level. I think it's hard to break the market because our situation is tight. Here in the U.S., crushers have good crush margins, and farmers really aren't selling as much grain as they would at these price levels. But it's tough to move much above $15 because uh, of the competition that we're seeing, uh, especially Argentina, with their soybean meal and soybean oil prices quite a bit lower than, than ours. Plus, China and U.S. relations is probably at a new low. So China is probably trying to avoid buying U.S. soybeans unless they have to. And so uh, the concern is that, that if that continues, our bean exports could drop to 1900 from where the USDA is right now, which would add to the carryout. So I think the market in general uh, wants to be negative going into our harvest, thinking that uh, the bean crop could get a little bigger and exports could be a little smaller. We also have to try to look way down the road to South America. It, it's, to me, it's kind of a shock to say that Brazil plants 105 million acres of soybeans, while here in the United States, we plant 87. And some people are looking at 160 million ton Brazil crop next year. And USDA's got a number uh, close to like 147, 149. So 160 million tons of beans is a lot, <laughs> which would take no 23 down quite a bit. And so I think as a producer, you have to be cognizant of getting some of sales for 23 on the books. The corn market is interesting in that when you look at cash, people willing to pay a dollar over for corn domestically and they can't get the corn, you would think corn should be, futures should be closer to 750 than where we are right now. But harvest is just around the corner and it seems like we could get some corn bought Across the scale. The problem is USDA is estimating that net farm income is going to be highest since 2012. And farmers have a cash problem in that uh, if they sell grain now, it's in this tax year if they're a you know, calendar year tax. 
and they really don't want to do that. And so it's keeping the cash strong and probably the futures maybe a little bit higher than the fact that Ukraine, Brazil, Argentina all have corn prices below the U.S. So when we look at prices, U.S. corn FOB is trading right now at about $320 a ton or $324 a ton. Ukraine's $261. So if you want to buy export demand, you've got to go down to that Ukraine price. Now, we know that there's a lot of problems with the war in Ukraine. Putin's talking about not extending the uh, corridor deal for Ukraine after it expires in November. And so we also note that a couple of Chinese companies went out and looked at their corn crop. And when they came back, their estimate of the crop was 240 million tons. Now, the USDA is estimating that crop at 274, and domestic demand is 295. So that's a pretty big spread between demand and supply. I think because of the relationships, China will avoid buying U.S. corn, and they'll probably wait for the 2023 Brazil crop to buy corn to fill the reserves. Now, when you say because of the relationships, are you talking the sanctions that are currently getting threatened, or are you referring to something different? I'm talking about the administration considering adding sanctions. When you when you talk to some Chinese companies, they're they're not very happy about that. And when we look at President Xi, he probably will get reelected, but the hardliners still in China want to somehow take over Taiwan and. Biden, when he was in uh, England, said that we would use military, if necessary, to support Taiwan. So I think that China is trying everything they can to become less needy of U.S. grain. And they're trying to get it from anywhere they can, and they're buying Russian crude oil cheaper than crude oil prices. And I think the other thing is that any economic data that comes out of China is negative right now. They are trying to bolster up their property market, which is in collapse. And they've had a drought in the Yangtze River area that has reduced industrial production. And so their raw material import demand could actually be down. And so, you know, the 295 domestic corn demand might be too high, considering all the things that are going on in in China. I think the Chinese would love Ukraine to grow a big crop and export. But, you know, the Ukraine farmer is getting a dollar a bushel for his corn. And they're already talking about at least 30% less planted acres, whether it's because they don't know where workers are. They could be fighting the war. They don't know exactly where they're going to get gasoline and diesel from. Uh, They normally get up from Russia. And what's the incentive to plant for dollar corn, especially if fertilizer prices are high and everything else is high? I mean, they're the richest soil in the world, and they're not going to be planting crops. The wheat market is very, very uh, interesting in that it seems like we take one step forward and two steps back in the wheat market. The Russian wheat price is about $200 and $320 a ton. U.S. soft wheat is $370 a ton. And this week we saw a collapse in wheat futures after Saudi Arabia bought Russian origin wheat at a very, very cheap price. Third quarter world wheat trade was 9 million tons less than a year ago. And so it seems like there are buyers in North Africa and there are buyers in the Middle East that can't afford to buy wheat unless they get some kind of loan. So here we are sitting with 
a relatively tight hardware winter wheat supply and nobody wants it because it's too expensive. So it just goes into storage. And so yesterday we saw a group try to come up with some figures as far as 2023 planted acres here in the U.S. They come up with 91.5 million corn acres versus 88.6 this year, 88.9 beans versus 87.4, wheat 47.9 versus 46.3, total acres crops 317 versus 312 this year. That's a 15 billion bushel corn crop, 4.6 billion bushel bean crop, and 1.9 billion bushel wheat crop. And again, when we look at where demand is, that's too much. And so these deferred 23 corn, bean, wheat contracts, farmers should look at doing some hedging there if, if these numbers come true. Um, our weather guy that we use does not see a problem this year in South America like we've seen the last three years. There are issues in the southern plains, but it looks like for 30 days we're going to have open harvest weather, and that'll help the crop dry down. And uh, the only thing we have to worry about is logistics, you know, rail moving from where it's sold to where it's needed, trucks, all this kind of stuff, barges. Barge freight is extremely high right now, and the fourth quarter bean exports will probably be record. First quarter of uh, 23 corn exports will be record. And so we got to get that grain moving. And last year, the futures were rallying, and this year, I don't think they will. So that means the base has to do all the work of moving grain into the pipeline. We've got a September 30 grain stocks report, probably more critical than normal, because when you look at the basis levels, you'd have to think there's no corn out there at all. <laughs> and in the beans, a, you know, a 200 carryout is, is nothing uh, compared to, you know, what our exports and what our crush is. So normally, we have a trouble trading weather and USDA and supply and demand, but now we have to add the Fed and what they're doing with interest rates and what that could mean as far as recession. And then we have to add a war in Ukraine. And then we have to add China becoming isolated from the US. And I think all those things are bearish inputs that um, we don't normally have to trade. We also look at the managed funds position and they're almost record low. They do not want to buy the grains because of the threat of recession. And in fact, on rallies, they're willing to sell positions in uh, because of the threat of a recession. So at the end of the day, we're tight nearby. The futures will probably be supported by that until there's grain into the pipeline. Long term, it looks like as long as we have South American weather and don't shut the Ukraine corridor down, prices should go lower. Interesting. So as we go into that harvest time frame, what I'm hearing is is take advantage of prices, especially as you're confident in what those yields are as a producer. I guess my main question going forward, because you talked a lot about that global demand and what that looks like, how do you see domestic demand changing as well? Well, um, right now, when you look at the consumer numbers, as far as inflation, you know, everybody was hoping that it would be below 8%, but it wasn't. And the Fed wants to do whatever they can to raise rates to get inflation down to 2%. So if we have a recession and they keep raising rates to get down to 2%, we could see unemployment as high as 7%. And some of the employment data we've been seeing is actually people taking two jobs to try to pay for their bills. So I, 
you know, if we get into a situation where wages and rent continues to go up, there's nothing the Fed can do about that. Now, domestic demand for wheat products is pretty steady. You know, when we think about food, we think about uh, bread, rice, and milk. Those are the top three. We've been noticing, kind of interesting enough, that the beef industry is still using the same amount of beef, except they're just using lower cuts like hamburger rather than choice cuts. So that's got the cattle market at high levels. So I think that the consumer has to make a lot of decisions. Last week, the market had a big shock with FedEx talking about revenues down, idling airplanes, closing 90 stores. The question is Amazon next to do that. And so I think that consumer demand for wheat, the domestic demand for corn, and the demand for meal and oil is going to remain strong. The question, especially in corn, will feeders keep their animal numbers up? Right now, the numbers suggest they should get out of feeding cattle. And so I think the domestic demand is stronger than the global demand. And I think that's, you can see that in the basis levels and where they're at. And I don't think a lot of people feel the basis is going to break that much during harvest if the futures don't rally. Interesting. Okay. So a lot, a lot of headlines, as you talked about, uh, that, that not only the algorithms that we will be watching as well. And Steve, I, I just want to thank you for bringing all of those different views into light and helping us understand how they affect us on a global perspective, but also a domestic one. Where can our listeners get a hold of you and delve into more of your green research? Every day I put out a report and a video that's on www.adms.com. And that those are all free. So you can go in there and get that. Absolutely. Once again, Steve, I appreciate all this, all good things to be keeping in mind and a great reminder for for our listeners here. We thank you all for touching base with us and listening in and look forward to speaking with you again, Steve.